backgrounds, people at the start of their career, you know, it's people you might not have heard of, you know, the unsung heroes of art, if you like. So yeah, obviously this is a new podcast, so we're still figuring a few things out, but I'm really happy that you're listening. I hope you continue to listen. So today's guest is a very good friend of mine, the best director to come out of Warbing. It's Liv Wilkinson. Thanks for coming in, Liv. The only fucking director to come out of Warbing. <laughs> How are you today, Liv? director. It's really weird. People, like my friends have started saying, oh, how's being a director? And I'm like, well, shit. I haven't even, I don't even feel like one yet. <laughs> I yeah, like I know that. I kind of I wanted to introduce you as like an aspiring director because, you know, the whole idea about the podcast is me speaking to like people in the arts coming from a sort of, you know, entry level or, you know, who want to work in the arts or, or trying to forge a path in the arts. Like, you know, people at the start of their uh, journey in the arts but then I felt like I didn't want to offend you I'm like you are a director you directed short films and you you know I think you I think of you as a director so I didn't want to diminish you by saying live the aspiring director you know <laughs> we've been friends for over a year now you can offend me as much as you like oh I'm sure I will like you know I was worried I'd got your hometown wrong I was worried you were going to say like it's not it's not Worthing it's you know wherever. So. I'm surprised you remembered it's Worthing. Whenever people ask me where I'm from, I always say Brighton. Yeah, I did think uh, she's definitely not the best director in Brighton, so I didn't want to. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> no, um, there well, are quite but... a few creatives who've come out of Worthing. I, I was joking when I said um, the only director to come out of Worthing, so I do know a few people who are going into it. Who, who's, who's the most famous person from Worthing then? Probably that girl who went on Love Island last year. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, oh, actually, Billy Idol went to the same school as me. Oh, there's your first name drop of the podcast. There you go. Uh-huh. Exactly. Well, so last week, the Tories put out an advert. I don't actually know if the advert came out last week. I think it was actually a lot. La- the advert was actually like a year ago. But yeah, anyway. It's quite an old advert, isn't it? It started recycling advert i'm sure most people listening to this would have seen it was um like basically saying fatima who's a ballerina wants a job in cyber she just doesn't know it yet and it's sort of this whole tory attitude about you know how art isn't a real job and how we should all go, you know which is obviously offensive to people like me and Liv who want to work in the creative industries and the arts because we all work part-time jobs and you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we already have other jobs to support ourselves. And, you know, so I've got Liv today, who I'm sure has got lots of nice things to say. And I'll stop rambling now. And uh, I've yeah. got nothing nice to say. <laughs> it's like you don't know me at all. <laughs> so, Liv, I'll start the, the podcast with its name. Um, the first, My first question to you is, why don't you just want to go and get a real job? 
Why do, why do, why do you want to work in the creative industries? I do have a fucking real job. Oh. No, I know you do. I know. No, I don't know. So it's um. <laughs> It's, it's, it's frustrating. So I've, I've been uh, a waitress since, I was about to say since I can remember, but I wasn't a fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been a waitress since I was 16. Yeah. Uh, I started at Pizza Hut and I worked my way up the pizza ladder to Pizza Express. Yeah. Um, and then, I, you know, I've been, I've been a part of, you know, so many different sort of sectors of hospitality I've worked in. Family restaurants, corporate restaurants, uh, family run pubs, chain yeah. bars, chain pubs, cocktail bars. I work in a restaurant at the moment in Edinburgh, um, who I, I probably shouldn't say the name just in case. Oh, we can leave that off. <laughs> but, um, I, I, so I'm, my quote real job, um, I've been a waitress, yeah, for eight years. And, um, as much as I like to, you know, moan about it, a hell of a lot of the time. I actually love being a waitress. Um, yeah. It's um, one of the most communicative jobs you can do without it being sort of, I'd say, vocally laborious because people come in and they just, they've just come in because they want to have a good time. You know, it's yeah. not like a call centre when you're talking to people because they've got an issue. People automatically come in in hope of a good time. Some people come in with the prerogative of an issue. And yeah. I can tell you millions of stories later on about people trying to get discounts. But uh, <laughs> so my real job is being a waitress and I, I, I do love it. It does get on my nerves and it is I'm yeah. always covered in shit. My yeah. I've got. Well, I would I would argue that directing is still, you know, a real job as much. But, you know, this is your. Yeah. I mean, I mean by, by Tory standards, my yeah. real job oh. is waitressing because that's where my yeah. income comes from. Um I'm at the very, very, very start of my artistic career, let's say. Yes, we all are. But I would argue that, you know, you'd been, you know, doing at least four years of directing through your courses and all that. So I think you've been quite modest on yourself. Um, but like, why, why do you want to be a director? Why do you not want to just stay in the waitressing job? Like, you know, why do you want to do this as your career? That's my sort of, what so, I'd like. Firstly, I'll dispel a slight myth. Um, I haven't been directing for four years. I've been, so I, um, my sort of undergraduate education was about media in general. So I started directing in the final year of that. Um, So I've been directing for two years, but I know why you fought four years. Um, What was the question? (laughs) (laughs) I just was sort of asking, like, why is it you want to be a director? Like, why do you want, or why do you want to work in the creative industries? And not, as the Tories would say, get a real job. Get a real job. Um. So, oh God, I don't, I don't know where to start with that sort of. Let's go back to the start and let, let's hear about your sort of your earlier creative influences and, and you sort of growing up in Worthing and and like you know where it all began. I want to mm. listen to you about that. Well, so I, I grew up in. Um, I, it's fair to say that um, I came from. I wouldn't go as far as to say wealthy, but I would say it was a privileged background. You know, I was yeah. mid, um, quite a middle class town in general uh, yeah. to two parents who were lovely. Uh, well, were, they're not dead. Um, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> uh, my, yeah, my mum and dad. Uh, my dad was, well, is an accountant. My mum's been a nurse sort of on and off for years. Um, yeah. So, um I, I, I can't really complain about my upbringing, you know. I also had a brother, 
have a brother. I need to stop talking about people as though. No, it's okay. I'm not here anymore. I'm uh, so the worst for that as well. I've got a brother, um, Ed, who um, we were very close when we grew up. Um, yeah. I think, to be honest, I hate myself for having to admit this, but he's probably the reason why I am a lot of the way I am. Yeah, because he's quite creative, isn't he? He's like he's very creative himself. Right? He, he is very creative. He is interested in all aspects of art, uh, yeah. but especially music. So, well, my my background, although my parents were relatively, well, my my dad is obviously an economical job, and my mum is in uh, nursing, but they both had very strong creative, um, let's say that was their escapism my dad is the least creative person in the world can't yeah. even write a birthday card uh but he <laughs> constantly has music yeah. on it in the background sort of funk earth wind and fire chic uh donna summer so, that. Do you think all the music was an influence on you when you were younger growing up like creatively i th- i think music pl- has played a massive role yeah um, and i think it, it, it the two sensibilities of film and music often go very hand in hand particularly in the age that myself and my brother grew up oh definitely yeah well my my brother was massively into rock music and because he was like my best mate and I always really looked up to him because I think it's quite natural to look up to your older siblings um I got very into rock music as well and it was in the age where YouTube was massive yeah. Didn't have things like Spotify. Of course. You know, we didn't have streaming services. So this was the video age almost. Exactly. So the video age of bands such as My Chemical Romance, when they've got these massive productions going on, 30 Seconds to Mars are paying 9 million quid for a music video. Yeah, yeah. All these artistic influences around you. I was always really fascinated by music videos. And I tried to get into music practically uh, and I took up bass guitar I'll be honest with you this is no offence to bassists but <laughs> I was a lazy little shit as a kid and I took up bass guitar because I thought it was the easiest yeah and it's not there was it used to I remember um, growing up I was obviously in bands and stuff as well I was I could only ever sing a terrible musician but I remember the jokes my friends always make like a bassist was a failed guitarist which is very harsh actually because the basis, especially in the sort of music that my dad liked, like funk, is yeah, of course. The, the sole sort of bass, literally bass line of it. Yeah. Um, but I think so. My, yeah, my upbringing was fine. I was I was a pretty happy child. So so what was the the earliest? What's your earliest like memory of like what, what age did you think? I quite like to get into film. Like I'd like to work in film. Oh, way way down the line, about twenty one. Okay, really. Yeah, no, it wasn't, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I was fascinated by films when I was a kid. I yeah. I'll be honest, I wasn't uh, I wasn't really fascinated by anything. That's really honest. I, I, that's very honest of you to say it like that, though, to be fair, because you could have easily been like, you know, I, I grew up watching the telly and blah, blah, blah. But well, no, I wasn't that's... watching the telly. I watched, like, Chuckle Brothers, Azzlebrush. Oh, yeah, I know you love all that stuff. Dick Dom and the Fuck But, no, I mean, so for, for film, it... Um, yeah, I, I'd be lying if I said the influences started early. To be honest with you, I, I think I, I went through quite a rocky patch as a teenager, but introduced me to a teenager who didn't. 
you know. I, I was just chronically bored for about seven or eight years. I was really bored. I had no interest in anything. Teachers didn't really like yeah. me. It's grown so up I didn't have a lot, of, you know, to go, going for me, apart from the fact that I was actually a pretty good waitress. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> And was, still are to this day. Exactly. Well, I mean, <laughs> so the, the film thing came into play actually – so that this is this is a story I have to go back to the start a little bit. So um, talking of the boredom that I went through, I started to uh, become a bit of a shit at home, yeah. uh, drinking a lot. Uh, when I say drinking a lot, I mean significant amounts. OK. Um, and uh, it was it. I was being re- really selfish, to be honest with you, and I was behaving in a way that I'm really not very proud of. Yeah. Um, so my parents, funnily enough, bought me a ticket to Australia and yeah. told me to come back when I'd grown up. Was it on this trip to Australia that you sort of realised that you wanted to work in film? Well, um, my brother, I was about to take the plane. So I should probably explain the whole trip wasn't bought for me. Yeah. They gave me a ticket yeah. <laughs> and said, take this ticket, you save up money and then you go travelling. So they said, this ticket is four months away. You work full time. You save everything you have and then you go. Okay. Uh, it's a sort of way of getting out of work and getting you away from the people you're around and stuff like that. I wouldn't say it was necessarily the people I was around that were the issue. It was it was just boredom and disinterest okay. in yeah. um, my work and college. Yeah. Um, that I, 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 to be honest, I didn't really like college. Yeah, and I think most people who have grown up in a sort of small town or a town can relate to that. Or you know, because I mean, I come from Glen Office, I, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying of being bored and just wanting to get out and not having, not knowing what you want to do. So I think yeah. that came, that chimes with a lot of people, especially in the arts. I think that yeah. probably. But anyway, so I'll let you continue your story about your info. So I was, I'd saved up loads of money. And just by working full time, I'd already sort of straightened myself out a bit and drank less already. Um, yeah. And my brother said, oh, I've got a couple of films you might want to watch on the plane. Yeah. Uh, and one of the films he, well, he bought it for me on iTunes. Uh, and one of the films was Train Spotting. Yes. Which, of course, we, I mean, we bonded over that a lot when we met. Yeah. That was our first conversation me and Liv had. Uh, about a year ago now when we started we both met at the Screen Academy on our master's course was mm. we just spoke about Danny Boyle and Trainspot and how much we love Trainspot yeah choose life choose a job choose a career choose a family choose a fucking big television choose washing machines cars compact displays and electrical tin openers <laughs> film on the plane um and i just i just was magnetized to it i watched it again and again and again when on I the was same on the it. same flight or just when you were on the trip when, when i was so uh, i can drive at that point so so, so i met some girls like smashing yeah. girls and we went up the east coast in a couple of caravans i was the only one who couldn't drive yeah. Um. So I was just there was about seven hours at a time. We'd just be driving in the middle of nowhere, and I would just be watching train spotting again mm-hmm. and again and again. Wow. I loved it. I loved the the things I loved the most were the color, the music, oh. and um, the production design. 
goes with like three shades. Aesthetically, well, I mean, it's a perfect film for me, and it's what you know. But like, yeah, that's. I mean, yeah. So was it those things you thought I'd love to make that myself, or like, I, oh, how does that work? Was it more just an interest? How does that work? I want to know about that. It was the former. I was just like, I just want, I want to make things like that because yeah. obviously my, I had a bit of a fascination with music videos when I was a kid, and when I would listen to songs yeah. when I was younger, and it didn't have a music video in my mind, I would come up with a music video for it. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. quite a lot of people used to do that, to be honest. Yeah, no, but that's interesting, and I think Trainspot is a really good like feature film example of that because it ta- music is so essential to that film, and yeah. it kind of encompasses the like what you're saying i think really yeah. well so the so the sort of musical um influences that i had as a kid around my brother and my parents um and the sort of age of youtube sort of spawned like a, a inadvertent fascination with it i mean i did photography in college and I, yeah. to be honest with you i just i i struggled to take any notice of any uh, talent or any inspiration in college because I simply didn't care. Um, yeah. I was too selfish and irresponsible and too caught up in my own shit to bother. Um, and then I went to Australia um, and th- there was kind of a bit of genius behind telling me to fuck off to Australia. And the genius yeah. was is that I needed to learn how much things cost, like petrol, because mm-hmm. I can't drive. Yeah, so if I'd say, can I get a lift to work? I never understood the price of petrol. I needed yeah. to start, you know, making calculations in my head, you know, okay, I either get smashed tonight and spend this amount of money or I go scuba diving tomorrow. And so these sort of things started to add up. Wow. And I also lost free stone. Yeah. So did this whole trip sort of change your life almost, do you think? Oh, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I hope, hopefully I wouldn't be dead. But yeah. like uh, I might, I, I definitely wouldn't be have done this masters if it wasn't for that because I should probably add when I say I lost three stone, I was very overweight when I went. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not doing myself any favors now. I know, I know. Obviously, you sort of mentioned that you, you told me about your sort of travel to Australia, but I don't think you'd actually went that in depth before. So I appreciate you coming on this podcast and being so honest. But, but you've gone on this trip in Australia, and I imagine when you come, so you, you get home from back to Worthing, right? You come back to Worthing from Australia. And then is that when you, the moment you decide, I'm going to go and do my undergrad and you said media, was it? Media. So yes and no. So I'd already technically gotten into university before okay. I went to Australia and I was going to do media because my brother did it and he said it was a laugh. Right. Okay. The honest truth. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I wanted to go to university. Everyone in my family on my dad's side had done it. Right. Okay. You know, that's a lie. My auntie Shelley didn't, but um, a lot of people in my family had done it. Yeah. Uh, university was supposed to just be big piss up for three years, isn't it? And of course, I like that um, idea. We, we get four in Scotland, so like we get an extra year for the piss up, which. Yeah, exactly. But mind <laughs> you, you start when you're 17. No, I, I was 18. No, we were eight the same. We just do the extra year on for whatever reason. Uh, I was 18. Yeah, my brother also lived in London and was always telling me how great London was, and so I got into this university right on the outskirts of London. Like, what was the what was the university called? Uh, St Mary's University Twickenham. Okay, so <laughs> it's it's no Oxbridge. No, no, of course. It was um, it so it was mainly a sports university, so you can only imagine. Um, I was yeah. a little bit, you know, outnumbers. You know, the yeah. oh. very small, very underfunded, 
the yeah. sports just took over the uni. Mo Farah went to the that, That's so similar to my to the to me. But like I, I remember a friend said to me, "Do you not think everyone here looks like they're about to go and run a half marathon?" Like, oh, yeah, they they did, but their diets were appalling. <laughs> they were they were all lovely, like no no complaint. Yeah. We, we had some great nights out, but at the same time. Um, there wasn't a hell of a lot of people who had the same interest in me, apart from this one guy, a really good friend of mine, um, who, although we don't talk much anymore, he'll still always be a really, really dear friend of mine. Yeah. Who we just used to knock on each other's doors, quote Alan Partridge and run off. <laughs> so it's basically what you do now with us. Um... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. So you, you, my undergraduate, to be honest, the first two years was just, parties right off it was so yeah. much fun uh but at the same time i did start to take life a little bit more seriously because london is so expensive oh yeah imagine. you know if you want to go on a decent night out in london you need about at least 80 quid mm. um and i didn't have that so i slowly just started to become more adult yeah. uh, so was so was there a point on this media course that you really discovered i want to direct i want to you know that's what i want to do in this so I did um, a music video in the fine in my fi- the first semester of my final year. I'd kind of gotten to the point where I realised how much I loved films. Yeah. That again helped and perpetuated by my brother, who we we both saw each other at least three times a week. We'd watch films all the time, and he would be the one to always show me these films. Yeah. Um. So it's fair to say, I think even now it would be, you know, fair to say that he is just as passionate about film as I am. Uh. He's chosen to take a career in music. But anyway, um, so um, I did a music video and we were given this song and the song, I fucking hated this song. When my tutor gave me this song, I, I literally looked at him and I was like, are you joking? It's from the Angry Birds film. And I was like, oh, no, what am I supposed to do with this? And so I sat at home and I um, I knew I really wanted to give my final year of uni a go. I, I, I suddenly, over the summer, got this – I got a 2-1 in year two. And I was kind of like, I, I could get a first and I could make – I could completely transform who mm. I was before and I could be someone else now. Yeah. Uh, I kind of got this massive kick up my arse. Um, and so I thought, you know, I really like films. I'm going to do a dissertation about train spotting. Amazing. Um, which I loved doing. Yeah. You know, 10,000 words. Most people were like, oh, I hate it. I loved my dissertation. It was about drug abuse in cinema. Which <laughs> I actually, I, I had someone ask me once, oh, what's your dissertation about? I said, oh, it's about drug abuse in cinema. And he went, oh, what, what drugs do people take in the cinemas? <laughs> I was giving this music assignment with the song. I was sat at home and I had like a diagram, you know, spider diagram. And I was like, yeah. this is just so annoying. I can't get it out of my head. And all the words around it were just, I hate this song. <laughs> Crap. Shit. So annoying. And then it kind of hit me. I was like, this must be what tinnitus, uh, tinnitus feels like. So 
I was like, okay, I'm going to do the music video as though this song is someone's tinnitus. So I got some mates of mine from the drama department and my flatmate at the time, Gabriel, who was uh, an acting student. And I've got to say, an acting student with no ambitions about anything. He'd do anything i tell him to do. It was hilarious. So um, I had three people uh, who were following him with musical instruments as though they were playing the song. Yeah. And they would be with Gabriel everywhere. So he was on a date and musicians were behind him. He yeah. was playing darts and drinking at a pub with his mates. Musicians were behind him. He was in bed. Musicians were in bed with him. Sort of stuff like that. Uh, uh, that sounds good. Oh, it was such a laugh. I had such a funny time. Um, I, 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 have you got a copy of this anywhere? We can. Yeah, it's actually on YouTube. <laughs> so you can link the, so I can link this to the podcast then. Yes, you can. <laughs> cool. um, see that. So I, I did that, and then um, I thought it was just a bit of a laugh. I, I wasn't. I didn't think it would do extraordinarily well. And then I got the grade back, and I got ninety percent. <laughs> Amazing. And yeah. I, went, I literally, I ran into my tutor's room. But like his um, office, yeah. and I was like, "Have you got that wrong? That's ridiculous! Like this, this isn't that good." And he was like, "Well, it's never going to be like a Scorsese film, Liv. You haven't got the equipment, but it's a really good concept and it's really funny." And I kind of was like, "Oh, I'm actually quite good at this." Yeah. <laughs> and then um, yeah. we got an assessment to make a, t- a 15 minute short film. My tutor Lee, who I've got, I've always got a really special place for Lee because he, um, he was probably the first tutor since like maybe an English teacher in high school who actually said to me, you, you're actually quite talented and you sort of believed in you a wee bit and gave me a bit. Yeah. He once told me, um, that I was, um, quote, the star, the star of the show at the moment in the year. Yeah. And I just started crying. I was like, I can't believe that actually someone's, showing a little bit of faith in me because I'm, yeah. I'm a loud mouth little shit and yeah. I really get on people's nerves <laughs> so it was really nice um so what 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 was the short film about then what was this was this your sort of final year thing yeah it was my final year thing uh, I've got to be honest I'm, I'm probably going to upset quite a few people by saying this um it was too too ambitious for my lack of experience yeah but that's good because you can learn from that, I'm sure. And I'm sure you have. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. The acting was great. Everyone mm-hmm. who worked on it was great. They did. They worked so hard. Um, but in hindsight, for my first film. What, what was I, the name of the film? Grim Resolve. Genuinely, I started getting grey hairs whilst making it. I actually gave yeah. myself carpal tunnel syndrome. Oh, not man. from Not from relaxation. But from typing and yeah. editing, so I well I I helped edit it quite a lot, and it was it, it I'm I'm really glad I've got that film on my showreel because some of the shots we've got are, are absolutely brilliant. But um, I think I, it would have been something that I I would have been able to execute better had I done it now. Yeah, of course, <laughs> that's that's all about learning. So do you think this experience of making this film really helped you learn a bit about you and? and your limitations and stuff like that and what yeah. you're do you know what it definitely helped with it helped me understand what everyone's job is which is essential in this industry because you know there's so many jobs that we don't talk about and I, and hopefully with this podcast i can speak to all these different roles from the you know different parts of the crew and i've and i have a lot of respect for you as a director because i think you really understand the importance of everyone's roles 
Well, I mean, so, it, yeah, I, I do. But at the same time, I've still got so much that I'm learning. Um, we all do, yeah. I, we did have an AD, for instance. First AD is something I learned in Masters, which yeah. shockingly a lot of people didn't know what an AD was until... I got, didn't know what an AD was, and I had an undergrad in film until I was, you know, so... No clue. Um, so we didn't have, for instance, an AD. So I acted as an AD. But I think that the film, the film that I did, so it, it had a child in it. Yeah. Um, which is just such a m- massive task to take on. Um, oh, yeah. And I wasn't the producer, but at the same time, it was a lot of pressure. Uh, but my my mum and I've got family who are in social work, so they knew all the procedures we had to go through. They knew how to communicate with kids, so I had a lot of help. But that that film, um, don't get me wrong, I'm I, I'm really happy with how it turned out. It got an overall grade of ninety five percent. So it was well respected by yeah. Well, it's what got me onto my masters. Which is what we're about to talk about. So of course we that's you know how we know each other from. But so you're in London, right? And you do you go straight into the masters then from your undergrad? Does you have any time between, or do you I go? Had, straight? I had a year between. So after I graduated, my undergraduate, I went travelling with an ex-boyfriend. Things mm-hmm. weren't going great, um, and we broke up in the middle of a rainforest in Guatemala. I'd had yeah. enough, and I broke up with him. Sadly, that rainforest only had a bus that left twice a week. So I broke up with him on Wednesday. The next bus was on Friday. Oh, man. <laughs> Which gave him time to button me up and we got back together. But oh. we then broke up again in Peru. And I, I'm not going to go into the depths of it because it's all a bit depressing. But basically, we were out uh, in a town one day in Peru. I Obviously, I can't speak Spanish or, you know. Um, and I turned around and he'd just gone back to the hostel and just left me in the town on my own. I was taking a picture, turned around, he'd gone. And that's when I I just, I went to like a Peruvian Starbucks, which is amazing, by the way. Um, I went to a Peruvian Starbucks, um, sat down, called my mum, and I was like, look, I'm a little bit skint. Can I just borrow a couple of hundred pounds so I can go to safe hostels? And when I say safe hostels, I mean... 24-hour security, um, women-only dorms. Uh, not that Peru isn't a safe country, but I just think if you're in any country in the world on your own, as a man or woman, I think you need to be a bit more careful. So um, I did that, and then I was like, right, okay, it's not time for me to think about what's going on right now, as in the breakup, it's time to enjoy the rest of Peru, which I did. I had a fantastic two weeks and then think about the future. And I knew I wanted to do a master's. And I think, to be honest with you, I'd be lying if I said some of it was because I didn't feel I was ready to go into the industry. I didn't know enough. And I knew I didn't know enough. I knew I was sort of making it all up on the spot. And also I missed being a student. Yeah, I think most of us can totally relate to that being a student is such a laugh it's such a laugh apart from when covid ruins your you know but that's another story isn't it so <laughs> I, I just i just um yeah so I, I was first looking for masters in london um i applied to goldsmiths who rejected me um i applied to i applied to a private one but it would cost it was going to cost i think God, I think it was about twelve thousand five hundred pounds. It was the 
it's the, the official like private film yeah. school. Some um, film schools really rip people off though, don't they? It's just I just I was thinking about it and looking at the student loans and I was just like, there's no way in hell that I can afford this. Um yeah. and then so then I started to branch out. I looked at Leeds, I got accepted into Leeds. Um I got accepted into I think I, I think it was something in Manchester. And um, then, yeah. And then yeah, I stumbled across Edinburgh. Which of course is you know your favourite film set here as well. So I I kind well, of was hoping you would like. <laughs> well, I interestingly enough, I messaged Lee, my tutor from my undergraduate, and I said, you know, I'm applying for um, Edinburgh Napier. Can I please get a reference? And he gave me the nicest reference, which I think is probably aside from the film, I think that is the flat out reason I got in was yeah. the reference. Um, so. He gave me a reference, but he then messaged me saying, don't just go because train spotting's there. Go because you want to. <laughs> I want to. But, um, yeah. Yeah. And then I had my interview with Susie. She, um, got her laptop out and had my film ready and yeah. she absolutely tore it apart in front of me. Oh, wow. She told yeah. me everything that was wrong with this film. Yeah. It was brutal. And I left this interview. And I just thought to myself, has she just brought me up from southern England to Scotland just to tell me how shit my film is? I mean, we do like to do that in Scotland. Yeah, she was us. <laughs> and then she calls me about two months later and says, I've called you because I know that you'd want to know that you've got in. And I was like, really? Wow. Yeah. Off the absolute ripping I got. So, um, yeah. And then, and then and then obviously the rest is history. And now, you know, you're, you, we, you're, you're in Edinburgh and... I think we had a pretty good year on the course between, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm always on the screenwriting course, but I think it's been good for us all, hasn't it, would you say? Yes and no. Covid's obviously just fucked everything, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, that that was a big massive hole in our, um, you know, we did lose six months to Covid of online education, but. I mean, to be honest, it was, in a way it was, it was okay timing because it started, it already started in March, didn't it here? I mean, we had it since. Yeah, like, yeah. February and then it all started in March but by March we'd finished all our lectures lectures were over so um that was relatively good timing and the lectures I had by my directing tutor David Lumsden he's such a like brilliant and patient man yeah Uh, David Byrne as well and Paul Holmes um I've got you know massive respect for and also um the BA acting students who we worked with. There was particularly several acting students, so Matt Boyle, Kyle Murphy, Lorna. Of Murphy. course, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute when we discuss yeah. N. Yeah. yeah. Callum Manship and Jamie Forburn um, were the people that I worked with on camera. Oh, Emily Cassidy um, as well, the people we worked with on camera. Yeah. Uh, who were all great to work with. So I'm really grateful to them as well because they obviously enhanced our experience. And they're, they're, if I've forgotten anyone's name, I'm really sorry. It wouldn't be, you know, deliberate. But yeah. so we worked quite closely with them several times. Um, and it was great until March, you know. Um, we got to, I think the most beneficial experience was a module called Collaborative Techniques where you're basically assessed on how you act on set. Yeah. And I also had a great mentor called Rory Stewart, who is a professional yeah. AD. In the, and he helped me figure out what an AD was. Learned 
via Rory is sort of a balance between being informative, affirmative, as well as um, controlled and considerate. That's a different sentence. So I'm I'm not saying that I'm an AD yet because I'm certainly not. I've got a lot to learn. But I really I'm allowed an over familiar little shit. And I being an AD is quite um, quite good. I I think I I could. Yeah, I've really enjoyed being an AD and learning that process and the collaborative techniques, as I said, you're assessed on how you act on set. So everyone really learn the small well, not the small roles, but the roles that you don't really consider when you look at the credits of a film, script supervisor, who is so important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd say script supervisor, usually on set, you think that intrinsically the DOP is the director's right-hand woman or man. But it's a script supervisor, isn't it? Script supervisor. Yeah. Um, I role to do as well. Oh, so it's hard to, I'd hate it. I've done it once and I felt, felt like my hand was going to fall off at the end oh. of it. Such a hard role. Let's get a real job. So, let, let's talk about Ken, because which is exciting. So obviously, we, we gra- you graduate the MA despite COVID and all that, and we get this amazing opportunity where you guys get the equipment from the ca- the Screen Academy that you would, you know, because you didn't get to make the films because of COVID. You get you finally we get to a few weeks ago and we you get to make the film. So let's. I w- Talk about Ken and your your exciting project, which we're all very looking forward to watching. Yeah. So my boyfriend Craig wrote it. Um, he's an MA screenwriter. Um, he's um, he's extraordinarily talented. He has no idea how talented he is. Uh, but he spends where well, we spend our evenings relaxing by watching episodes of Friends that we've watched like a hundred times, and then watching Train Spotting. Yeah. He spends his evening reading books about philosophy, fitness, psychology, colour, above all. He's an amazing writer. Like from, he's I mean, fantastic. I, I, I met Craig on the part-time writing course and yeah. he, he really stood out. But He's, he's um, going to go on to do some really amazing things. Um, but he um, he based this on a true story, yeah, it's of a um, family of four, uh, Protestant family in Thatcher's, Scotland in the 1980s and one family uh, one family member's secret um, challenges all of their belief systems yeah. I don't really want to go into it more no I think your producer described it as like succession but in 1980s Thatcher Scotland and I thought that was... I know that that was very well received by Craig he, he appreciated that but yeah, Craig, so Craig wrote this um, and I read it and obviously at the start there's always tweaks to be made. But overall I was like, this is perfect. This is just the style that I've wanted to adopt, which is, and I know there are certain people out there who are going to say, oh, shut up, Liv. But I like the gritty kitchen sink. It's so pretentious. It's not at all potential because that's what you describe. You know, you talked about when you watch trains, but that's all the stuff you wanted to make. And I think it's great that you're now making that, and and that's what you're good at. And I, I look forward to seeing where you go with that and on that journey. There were so many processes in that film. So the film, I think, something that I've also learned is that the process that you, as a uh, quote artist, whether whether I am or not, we're all artists here. This is the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> The process you go through is, is this thing moulds in my head 
all the time. You know, I started the sort of journey of making kin thinking that I wanted it to look like a photograph. I wanted it to look like an artifact of the time. Like a photo of the 1980s. I wanted it to look like when you're at, when you visit your grandparents, you see that deadly awkward photo. And that is the main way that you can resonate with the 1980s. And then, as I was writing the shot list, so the way I write the shot list is I'm, I'm quite formal with it. I have columns. I have shot type, movement, um, angle, um, blocking, and then coverage and all that. So, And I wrote it, and then I looked down at my shot list in the style that I wanted it to do, and it just said static, 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 static. And I was like, right, okay. I'm reading dialogue. I'm looking at the shot list, and it doesn't match. As much as I want it to look like an artifact of time, I've got this. It's a very dialogue heavy script. And I've, I looked at the dialogue and the competition between family members at certain points. It's almost like a game of tennis. Back yeah. and forth. It's like a it's like a volley. Is it a volley or a rally? I think both. Yeah. like a volley. And then there would always be that one character who hit the ball and won the game. Yeah. Oh, it's a fantastic script from I'm, yeah. reading it. Um, I looked at it and I thought it's not a static film. It's a, it's a it's got a bit more substance to it. And so I start. I thought right, okay. My main influence for the film at first was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I haven't seen, and of course is one of the oh, films people have talked about a lot about. Such, yeah, such a brilliant film, and it's yeah. it's a film that's literally worth. Well, it takes it from the name, the, the static sort of territory that the shots tend to go by obviously it's not a entirely static film it's got movement in it and it's got pans and it does there are certain handheld shots but overall it's as though you're looking at a tapestry of some yeah. experience and that's great and it really worked for their script because that the script for portrait of lady on fire obviously everything that's i'm not spoil it but a lot of it is about mood and atmosphere long elongated silences feeling yeah. and color and emotion and this script is not about that it's about people trying to battle each other it's yeah. almost a battle of wit it's quite a it's got quite a few sort of charming moments of wit in it where they try to outsmart each other because you've got the family four is made up of two brothers a mum and a dad yeah. and so if you've got a mainly patriarchal surrounding you do tend to get a bit of you know minds bigger than yours um and then you've got it was the- 1980s scotland so of course <laughs> um yeah. so this film developed in my mind and for the DOP so I spoke to her one day and I was like look I've well, Lila who's an incredibly talented DOP oh she's the boss she's she's Great. such a boss I hopefully um, can get her on the podcast sometimes I'd love to talk to her about her process and stuff oh yeah yeah you'll you'll I mean she'd be great she'd be a great guest um yeah. you'll um definitely talk to her if if she's available yeah but I mean, it's it's great to work with so many women. We'll talk about that later, trust me. But um, so I spoke to Delilah and I said, look, I know this is going to be annoying, but I want to change a lot of it to handheld to give this a bit more substance. And I started going back to the roots of where I first found out that I liked film, which was Train Spotting. I almost forgot that route yeah. when I was making this film because just on making this a unique piece of art and I forgot where my influences came from originally. So I was like, this this is a handheld film. So it went through that really like drastic change. Um 
that not not a lot of people talk about in these processes. You know, you think that the director, as soon as they've read the script, they're like, right, well, that goes there and that goes there and this is this. <laughs> but actually, these things just sort of mould and they change and they develop and you start to read the character in a different way. Um, yeah. So working with Delilah was great because she would never ask to change anything. She'd only ask to enhance it in a certain way. And that, for me, is great. Which, yeah. it's and that's what a good partnership is, isn't it? You play to each other's strengths. And... Well, yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse than doing something and then someone saying, no, that's wrong. You know, yeah. in, in art in general, there isn't there isn't a right or wrong. What there is is a foundation that then a DOP grows and nurtures. And I think what's so important in the in the creative industries as a whole is it's all about collaboration. We, you know, we all it, yeah. uh, that's why that's why I love this industry and not just the film industry, but I take that to music, to, you know, art, everything. Yeah. I love the collaborative nature of it because you don't get a book without a publisher you know you don't get a book without something yeah. in the cover of the book you know I mean, it's, it, that's a, it's the, the, the biggest learning curve I think for me was as I said like learning other people's jobs and yeah I don't yeah. think you will ever 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 be in any I mean I'm not successful at all I'm going into it early on I don't even know what my future will be like but I know through talking to people who have been that you will never ever be successful in these times by being a Weinstein. Yeah. It just never happened. Now we won't let it. So no. you have to, you have to collaborate. And you know, the, if that goes towards acting as well. And when I was working with the actors, I had um, Maria Chandler, Stephen Wren, Carl Murphy and Matt Boyle, who I spoke about earlier. But, um, I, I said to them that I'm not going to give you a fact file this time. If you change your mind and you want one, I will make one for you. However, I'm going to interview you all. And I want, and there's no right or wrong answer. If you say something, you think actually no, that's not right. Go back to start and change it. But I'm going to interview you all about it's just anything. So I would ask Maria, who plays the role of Catherine, the mother, how him, how sorry him, her, how she, how she met her husband, and where, and what their wedding was like, what the kids were like when they were younger, what religion means to her, and I would ask. Stephen, who played the husband, how he asked Maria out and uh, what he thinks about strikes. And then I'd ask the sons how their upbringing was and what they do on Saturdays. And these really small questions just build a bigger picture. But the fact is, is that by asking these questions, I'm just I'm simply building the shape of the body. They're the ones putting the eyes and the nose and the fingerprints yeah. in it. And. I'm not the writer, I'm not the actor, I'm the director. So there are sometimes questions that I ask where I know the answer, but it's not for me to tell them the answer. For instance, there was one scene, it's a dinner scene. Catherine, the mother, has prepared Sunday dinner and the boys are coming around for Sunday dinner. And I asked Maria, who was in the room on her own, how long did this roast take to cook? As Obviously, she was in character said, how long did this roast take to cook? And she said, four hours. I was like, where did you get the meat from? She said, Sainsbury's. And I said, why? She said, well, Sainsbury's is a bit more expensive, but it's a Sunday, so it's special. Uh, and, I was, and then Scott, one of the sons, came in the room, and I said, how long do you think it took to cook dinner? And he said, ages. And I was like, well, how long's ages? And he went, two hours. Maria said, four hours. That's, that's, uh, that's really interesting. 
Stephen came in as friends and I said, how long does it take you to cook this dinner? And he said, uh, I don't care. I paid for it. Oh, my. Wow. And Andy, well, Kyle, who played Andy, came in and I said, how long do you think this dinner took to cook? And he said, ages. And I said, how long's ages? And he said, four hours. That, that is yeah. exactly the characters we've got there. That is, and that's a testament to you as well, I think, for managing to get out the actors. That, that, that's really interesting. That's well, there's a reason behind. <laughs> I've asked <laughs> questions all over set. I was asking Kyle, where did you go last night? Well, sorry, Kyle playing uh, Andy. Where did you go last night? I asked Scott, are you hungover? Uh, I asked Frank, what are you reading? He said, Salmon and Trout magazine. All the boys. What football team they support? Because in on a film set, you've always got that slight lull where you're changing shot. Maybe the camera team have to change lens, change the lighting, especially in a dinner scene. You know, um, script supervisor, continuity and production design are running around making sure the potato is in the same place as it was before. Yeah. Um, so there's this sort of lull and obviously you don't want to bombard your actors all the time, let them rest, have a cup of tea and stuff. But at the same time, when we're getting back into it, I can't just expect people to just go like that, like actors in a pornographic film and just start yeah. going at it. There's there's a there's a process about getting back into character, particularly yeah. if someone's fluffed the line, which happens to all of us. Um, well, all of them. Sorry, I'm not an actor. I'm the worst actor in the world. That's the that's the interesting thing. That's why you're a director, you know. You... A slight myth to dispel. You do not have to be a good actor to direct that that's a myth uh, that I've heard several times when people say, have you taken acting classes? I've looked at them. (laughs) 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 Um, I think knowing your own strengths and weaknesses is a huge part of of anything and takes a lot of humility. I'm not a writer. I'm not a producer. Yeah. Not a DOP. I'm, I I would, the, the one role that I think I could take on is an editor I could do I could do editing, but I I could I'd, I'd probably be I'd like to have a look at doing some DP work and just take a second they see just to experience it to experience it. So again, it's, it's about appreciating more because I appreciate already yeah. the importance of it, but I'd like to practice it so that I can know how much patience it takes, you know. But um, so yeah, no, so um. That's very exciting, and, and I cannot wait to see Ken. And can we follow it anywhere? Can we follow on Instagram and just plug it at all? Yeah, yeah, you can. I plug it. So right, um, my, I'm just gonna plug my own Instagram because uh, I'm desperately. I'll link this all underneath the podcast when I launch. <laughs> uh, my name is Liv Louisa. My actual middle name is Louise, but someone else had it on Twitter, so I had to change it to Louisa. And then uh, it's Kin dot short film. Um, and we'll link all that after this. We've got some, we're in the middle of editing at the moment. Um, the performances that the actors gave are great. And the DOP, Delilah, did such a good job. So it it turned out better than I had in my mind because there'll be ideas that I have in my head. And what I hate, I have to say, pet hate, and I've, I've come across this a few times. I'm not going to name names, but I've come across this <laughs> is people who say, no, that won't work. And I'm like, okay, don't tell me that. Show me it. If it doesn't work, prove to me why it doesn't work. And... So I think when you're working in a creative industry to say, no, that won't work and just shut it down like that. Don't tell me, show me. So that's what Delilah was great at doing. So there were a couple of ideas I had, which were 
in hindsight stupid and she would show me what it looked like and I'd be like okay great because if someone says to me that won't work in my mind it's still there it's only when I see it I show you you realize okay you're right yeah it doesn't or it does no that's good well I just just before we finish up just a a couple more things and what I'm I want to ask every I know you kind of talked a lot about your work on this but Every guest on this podcast, because as I've been talking about, we all have to work part-time jobs in this industry, especially yeah. at the start of our careers. What's the worst part-time job you'd ever had? Is there like a horror job you'd had? You don't have to name the company if you don't want to, but... No, I'm not going to name the company. Um, so well, I worked in retail for as a temp for Christmas, and I hated retail. I genuinely... Um, for people who work in retail, because... With waitressing, you're, you've always got the, in the back of my mind that I've got tips that could come. If I serve this table really well, I could get extra money out of it. And I wouldn't be able to be – I've got a nice flat with my boyfriend. We haven't bought it. We rent it. But um, I, I wouldn't be able to sustain it without tips. So I do feel for people in retail. But I worked a Christmas temp job in a, let's say, a chain company. <laughs> Um, and I hated it so much. There was a lift there that I always used to break, and I knew it used to break all the time. Oh, no. And I was quite overweight at that point, so I just used to go in the lift, jump up and down, get stuck <laughs> inside there deliberately. I hated oh, it. Amazing. And then one day, so <laughs> one day, um, things, it took a while for them to catch on, to be honest. Um, but one day I got called into the office, and they said, "Oh, you, we don't, we don't need any, any today. You know." It's, not that busy it was <laughs> so I said, you can go home and I was like oh great and you know like when um a dog goes into the car thinking they're going for a walk and actually they're going to go to be put down I was like that sort of walking home like <laughs> I've been fired <laughs> fired from the job they just uh, I was on a zero hour contract and my hours just stopped yeah, and on. I thought it was name natural. and shame. Name and shame. I thought it. No, I'm not. I can't. I can't name and shame. Do you want this podcast to go? Um, <laughs> I'm only joking. But um, so that I thought I was that my temporary job had naturally finished, and then I asked the people in that job if they finished and they hadn't. <laughs> it was just me. <laughs> so I uh, I just thought my hours reduced to zero. But um, now as, as a waitress, to be honest, you, you do get nightmare customers. Like I had the worst customers ever there was one on table who came in right and we at the restaurant that I work in we do like a Prosecco brunch and they get started with like a continental plate you know salamis cheeses and bread yeah. and um it comes out on a big slate so if there's five people we just put a massive slate out five croissants five pan chocolat five slices of fucking bread <laughs> so great so it was great, and I sat it down, and there was this table that I'd been getting along really well with. We had we'd grown a bit of a jokey relationship in the first twenty minutes I'd been serving them. So I put this slate down. I said, and they they went, oh my god, look at the size of that. And I went, that's only for one. And they all laughed, <laughs> and I, I left feeling all like hilarious and sexy. And then they came, one came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, excuse me, where's our other platters? And I was like your platter's on the table, there's five of you, and it's a massive platter. And she said, yeah, but you said this was only for one. <laughs> I can't, it's hard to describe. Oh, just no, God. How massive this slate was. It's, okay, it, it's literally, 
bigger than my desk. It's about a metre and a half long. It's massive. And there was one woman who was single-handedly tackling the whole slate and then four other women who were just looking at me dead in the eyes and saying, where's our slate? And I went to my manager and I said, come on, you can't, I can't be told off for this, surely. He was like, what happened? (laughs) And I said, I was joking when I said this was for one. And I thought I was going to get in so much trouble because I'd made a really big cock up the week before as well on (laughs) another joke that I'd made. Um, And he looked platter, looked at the woman tackling this platter. She must have been about 70. And she just, she, she'd already stuffed three croissants and five pieces of cheese. And he said, no, I can't tell you off for that. That is ridiculous. He went over and he said, look, this, she, she was joking. This is for one. And they went, well, we'd like another one because we've all missed out on us now because she ate it all. <laughs> <laughs> I just was like, oh my God. Oh, man. Well, I just wanted to ask, Ed, before we wrap up, because obviously I'd like this podcast to be useful to people who maybe are wanting to get into the industry or who are at the same point we are at at the start of our career. But do you have any tips for anyone who wants to be a director or what you think you need to be like? I know you've still got a lot to learn, as you said, but I just wonder if you had any tips for anyone. Um, So if you want to get into the industry, just send emails out. Send your CV out don't be embarrassed there are people out there who will say why are you sending your cv out there that's like that's embarrassing why why are you emailing this person it's weird email everyone you've got a cv just be a pest right just be a pest to people annoy people you know and I, yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you because like I've, I'm terrible at doing that. I hate like to feel like I'm annoying people and I'm, I'm trying to learn now. I'm just going to email people. You just have to be a pest. So I think it's great advice. People like to be emailed and yeah. told, you know, you're great. I'd like to work with you. You know, I'm trying to go via the runner or AD route. So I'd say email your CV just to all the runners, producers, production assistants, production managers, AD, second AD, third AD. I'd say, Make films and send them to people. You've got to surrender to yourself to embarrassment in this industry because there will be people on your Facebook who won't care and who will unfollow you and unfriend you. But it doesn't matter. Just do it. Thank you very much for all that, all those tips. I think that's really good. Anyone who's actually listened to the end of this, fuck me. Well, well, I'm sure we'll condense it in, but thank you so much for coming and talking and, and being so honest. You're, you're very honest and I appreciate it. And, um, hopefully you can keep this going and get more people on and maybe one day have you back if you've done more stuff. If we, yeah. You could get Eddie Stream from the X Factor on here. Oh, yeah, your brother. Yeah. But thank you very much. No, all right, you're welcome. Thank you to anyone who's actually still listening to the podcast at this point. Uh, yeah, fair plays for sticking about. Um, obviously we're a new podcast so please if you enjoyed today's episode give us a like a follow on social media or subscribe to the podcast anything like that goes a long way at this point I'll be back again next week with some more episodes we've got a few very quite interesting guests lined up so yeah I'll see you back here next week just get a real